I'm Dale Mason, publisher of Answers Magazine, and this is Creation Answers, a podcast of Answers in Genesis, featuring highlights from the award-winning Answers Magazine. Now, it depends on where you live, but for most of us, spring is a time when April showers bring May flowers. Spring has a way of opening our eyes to the beauty of God's creative handiwork in nature. In this episode, we'll take a look at his design of flowers and forests and the many purposes they serve. So let's start with flowers, one of the most remarkable structures found on God's green earth. This first article, Flowers, Not Just a Pretty Face, delves into some of the most practical purposes that these beautiful biological wonders serve. Their programming is complex, and it points to the Creator. Each spring, colorful gems begin popping up through the dark soil around my Arkansas home. I'm not just referring to the pearly pink tulips in my garden, but the sparkling trove of rainbow jewels in the wild. In my yard, yellow daffodils lift their faces to the sun. In a nearby meadow, striped violet johnny jump-ups in shades of amethyst appear, seemingly overnight. The display follows a similar order annually. Dandelions and clover add sparkle among the emerald fields of petalless Bermuda and Kentucky bluegrass. Soon afterward, dogwoods display their latest batch of white blossoms. By midsummer, The exhibit dazzles with a profusion of lilies, marigolds, and lavender that appear behind my house. Later, the purple, burgundy, and orange hues of sweet-smelling asters and chrysanthemums herald the arrival of autumn. And right before the world's floral life goes dormant again, the holly tree's tiny white blooms have produced their familiar red berries, while ruby poinsettias arrive at the supermarket just in time to close another year. This succession of visual and aromatic splendor far surpasses any man-made wonder you'll find on the banquet tables of palaces or within the inner sanctum of temples. It's as if some great king in heaven wanted to fill his earthly court with lavish reminders of his own power and delight in beauty. Scientists are fascinated by these biological wonders. Their studies reveal that flowers are much more than inanimate gems or sweet-smelling chemistry. They serve very practical purposes, reproduction and food provision, with an elegant flower system that requires infinitely complex machinery and programming. They are among the most remarkable structures in all of nature, whose origin, from an evolutionary perspective, is almost as difficult to explain as our own. Central to seed-bearing. I love flowers, not just because I study them in my work as a botanist, Each year as they transform the winter wasteland, they touch me on a personal level, bringing to mind fond memories of my grandmothers, who kept gardens and instilled in me a love of flowering plants. To me, the varied blooms are familiar friends that work together to bring glory to God. My Creator is practical and hardworking. He made the heavens and earth, and He calls His creations to continue that work. Flowers answer this mandate, through fulfilling their wonderful underlying purpose, seed-making. Blossoms are the reproductive centers of the angiosperms, or flowering plants. This group, so different from all other plants, produces not just striking blossoms, 
but also the rarely noticed flowers on grasses and the homely flowers of trees, like the hickory and oak, as well as those on plants submerged in streams or our aquariums. The technical term for this whole class of plants, angiosperms, is based not on the flower, but on the type of seed it produces. Angiosperm comes from the Greek words angion, meaning case or casing, and sperma, meaning seed. Another group of seed plants, gymnosperms, which includes pine trees and other conifers, produces naked needles without a fruit container. Flowering plants always wrap their seeds within a fruit enclosure, whether that wrapping is a juicy blueberry or the hard, striped husk of a sunflower snack. No matter what form this fruit takes, manufacturing it requires a complex reproductive process. That's where the flower comes in. To see why flowering is such an unbelievably complex system, where God put all the working parts in place from the beginning, consider the apple tree. The flowers come in clusters of soft pink blossoms called inflorescence. Within each flower are organs called stamens that produce pollen, which then makes male sperm. Each flower also contains one or more female-producing part, referred to as the carpal, which has a slender tube leading down to an egg-filled ovary within the flower's base. We don't usually think of flowers' reproduction as being as complicated as that of the birds and the bees, but the egg and pollen, containing the sperm, must come into contact to produce any offspring, in this case, an apple. But that's a challenge. It requires outside help from an insect, like a worker honeybee. Through a complex chemical process, the flower produces nectar, the principal raw material of honey, to draw worker bees, who arrive at the tree and visit several blossoms. As the insects gather food from each flower, they transfer pollen to the carpal tips of other blossoms. The pollen then grows a thread-like extension down into the flower's ovary, where the sperm fertilizes an egg and begins the seed-growing process. At the moment of fertilization, wonderful changes begin to take place in the flower. Like an expectant womb, the carpels slowly enlarge to accommodate the developing seeds. Meanwhile, the surrounding material begins to transform into the fleshy apple. At the same time, the petals shrivel and fall away, leaving behind only the stringy bits of flower you see at the base of your red delicious. All through the process, the parent tree sacrificially transfers its own food and energy directly to the new and growing seed to help it get off to a strong start. It also supplies resources to build the fruit around the seed, which is designed to attract and nourish the creatures that consume the apple so its seeds can find new homes. The Bible assures us this fascinating, complex process has been in play since the beginning. God says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 11, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. The Creator designed flowering plants to work hard in Eden from their start. Incredibly interconnected. Did you notice that fruit is only a secondary byproduct of producing the next generation of plants, yet fruit is specifically intended to nurture animals? How like God to create a system for plants that blesses animals and humans, too. Since flower production was meant to involve various creatures, it's no surprise God made the animals a couple of days after he made plants. This tells us two wonderful things. First, God acts step by step, or 
decently and in order. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40. Second, our Creator values relationships, just as He values relationships with and among His human creations. Consider just one phenomenal example, which involves my favorite pollinator, the hummingbird. The standing cypress produces a vivid red flower that appeals to the color vision of birds, particularly to the hummingbirds. Its sweet scent serves as an additional lure. Meanwhile, nectaries deep within the flowers produce nectar hummingbirds need. While the hummingbird happily flits from bloom to bloom, it transfers the pollen necessary to the plant's future. The flowering world is full of these kinds of complex, symbiotic partnerships. This general rule has a few exceptions, which emphasize the point by their exceptionality. Some plants, usually those with atypically small or closed flowers, self-pollinate. This is called autogamy. Others, such as grasses and many hardwood trees, count on the wind to spread their pollen. Anemophily. Flowers dependent on anemophily usually do not have petals. Some plants, mainly aquatic seagrasses, rely on water to distribute pollen, hydrophily. But most angiosperms, through color, scent, ultraviolet markings, and even mimicry, are designed to attract insects or vertebrates to complete their own pollination. Thankfully, flowering isn't a one-size-fits-all process. God didn't just design one unique process. He designed infinite variations that allow various plants to produce flowers all year long, in all shapes and sizes, for all sorts of creatures. Food for thought. If you've ever thought flowers don't belong in grocery stores, remember that we owe all this bounty to them. Blossoms are the factories that manufacture pears, cherries, almonds, coconuts, grapefruit, lemons, and indeed, virtually all plant-based food. The grass family, Poesia, for instance, gives the world wheat, rice, and barley. The legume family, Fabacia, produces beans and peas. The nightshade family, Solanacea, blesses our palates with potatoes, peppers, and tomatoes. Melons, cucumbers, and squashes come from the gourd family, Cucurbitacea. Without flowers, the world would suffer disastrous malnutrition, and without their hard work, we couldn't enjoy popcorn with our movies, peppercorn on our steaks, vanilla in our ice cream, poppy seeds in our muffins, or saffron in our yellow rice. Yet flowers do more than please our eyes, tongues, and noses. They are indirectly responsible for raw materials that clothe and house us, like cotton, flax, and wood. Behind every lumber yard and every blue jean manufacturer is, in fact, a flowering plant. Blooms also play key roles in producing many medicines that help us in this now-fallen world. For example, aspirin comes from the bark of the willow tree. Drinking a tea of steeped blossoms of the hyssop, mentioned in Scripture, can manage arthritis pain. Digitalin, a well-known drug to treat congestive heart failure, comes from the foxglove plant. But even its flowers produce a compound used in the fight against cancer. Spring is the time of year when nature wears a crown of glittering, functional color that our Creator designed. He did it with our good and pleasure in mind. So in the weeks ahead, whether you're driving down the road to work or sprucing up the yard after last winter's chill. Allow your eyes to ponder the flowers. While you're at it, harvest, or purchase, a bouquet, and send it to someone who needs a smile. Tell them about the God who made these unique creations, which can only be attributed 
to the majestic craftsmanship of a loving King in heaven, who wants to share his overflowing love and provision with all of us. The Savior gave mankind blossoms as just one more incentive to be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. That article about the design and purpose of flowers was written by Dr. Roger Sanders and Bethany McShirley. Plants were created on the third day of creation. Their beauty is all around us. Elementary students learn amazing facts in the homeschool curriculum, God's Design, World of Plants. The entire God's Design Science curriculum is available at AnswersBookstore.com. Next, we'll turn our attention to God's design for forests and discover how our wise creator equipped them to not only survive, but thrive even in our fallen world, which is the result of Adam's sin. It looked more like a war zone than a forest paradise. Nothing but devastation as far as the eye could see. Smoldering ashes and blackened wooden skeletons were all that was left after the inferno. The scene was overwhelmingly bleak. Yet hope for restoration lay dormant in the landscape. This ashen forest had prepared for just such a time to ensure future generations would thrive here. How is that possible? From floods, forest fires, and volcanoes, to insect swarms, ice storms, and clear-cutting, a devastating variety of environmental disasters threaten forests all over the world. A wise creator would take such possibilities into account, and he did. God has designed his creation to experience revival even in the midst of catastrophe. In a fallen world brought down by man's rebellion, God made his creatures to persist. As he showed in the resurrected Christ, he's a genius at bringing life from death. Leaving a legacy. The answer to how environments can bounce back from disaster often lies in the legacies they leave. Legacies are the survivors of catastrophic disturbance. They are vital for secondary succession, the process of revival after a natural community is destroyed. Legacies can be physical remains or living organisms. Physical legacies include dead standing trees, otherwise known as snags, and fallen trees. These provide shelter. They balance the soil's temperature and moisture for future organisms to germinate, and they offer food for future generations. An example of a living legacy is a seed bank. Just as you deposit money in a savings account for financial emergencies, so our Creator has designed plants to make deposits for future forest emergencies. Many seeds wait patiently on standby in the darkness of the soil. Banking the Forest Way Over many generations, plants can deposit millions of seeds in each acre of forest soil. Not all are created equal. Some last only days or months before they can no longer germinate. Others can last centuries, such as moth mullein, 120 years, and cana lily, 600 years, or millennia, such as a 1,300-year-old Indian lotus that was germinated in a lab in 1995. One competitor for the record books is a date palm buried in Masada, Israel, that germinated after an estimated 2,000 years. At this point, you might be asking how seeds know when to lie dormant and when to spring into action. Fascinatingly, seeds have sensing tissues that can detect differences in soil temperature and changes in light wavelength. When these changes reach a certain intensity, a seed's individual programming triggers it to end its sleep and send its root into the soil 
and its shoot into the sunshine. For example, the pin or fire cherry of northeastern deciduous forests needs lots of sun. Its seeds can remain viable in the soil for 50 to 150 years, long after other taller trees like maples, oaks, and American beeches have blocked the sun. As soon as some disturbance removes the grand old canopy, fire cherry seeds sense the increased light and temperature and begin to recolonize the landscape. Consider what happens in some of the old Douglas fir forests of the western U.S. They haven't always been there. 800 years before these trees became established, we find evidence that an earlier community of snowbrush and other plants deposited seeds in the soil. Whenever clear-cutting or forest fire destroys firs, these seeds spring into action in response to the warmed soil and changes in sunlight. The seeds are already there. Their bushes quickly cover the ground and then develop new relationships with bacteria in the soil, as their parents once did. God designed the bushes and bacteria to work together. The bacteria help the bushes by taking nitrogen from the air and making it into usable fertilizer to replenish the soil. In return, the bushes provide shelter and food for the bacteria and animals. Together, they restore the environment and prepare for future generations. What is your legacy? Seed banks illustrate how God provides for and sustains His creatures in every way. He preserves and upholds all things. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. But He sustains more than just the physical aspects of the present creation. He provides for future generations as well. In a way much more profound than helping plants and ecosystems, He also takes disturbed and spoiled human souls and restores their beauty and purpose to live in a healthy, sustainable community. As we let God's Word germinate in our lives and follow His Spirit's leading, we can prepare a strong, rooted foundation in Christ for those who follow and desire to flourish. Psalm 92, verses 12 through 15. What a wonderful legacy for us to pass on to the next generation. That last article, God's Seed Bank, was written by Tom Hennigan. It illustrates how God provides for and sustains his creatures in every way. Springtime serves as a great reminder of how God brings death to life. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed these articles, there are hundreds more at our website, AnswersMagazine.com. The links to today's articles are listed in our show notes, and I encourage you to subscribe to receive the magazine in your mailbox every other month. You will love that you're better able to share and defend your faith. I'm Dale Mason, publisher at Answers Magazine. And for the entire team, God bless. If you like the Creation Answers podcast, you'll love Answers Magazine. Subscribe for a full year of the print edition and you'll automatically get access to the audio and digital versions of every issue as well. Right now, you can even save an extra 10%. Just enter the exclusive discount code PODCAST10 at AnswersMagazine.com. That's PODCAST10 at AnswersMagazine.com.